Easter Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. So as I mentioned before, for irreligious people or the people who are um, not familiar with what the scripture actually says about resurrection, there are so many misconceptions. So I'd like to deal with that before we talk about here are the reasons why we should consider about putting trust in the risen Savior. The evidence is for the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection. The first misconception, more than anything, is that the resurrection of the Bible is not resuscitation. So a lot of times when you... I did some uh, online Googling and research on that, and then there's some uh, atheist science, scientists who will say, life scientists, oh, the resurrection is not really unique to Jesus. There are people in the history who have experienced and who claim about their resurrection. So there, there's a nuance that you could sense what they are talking about and what many people think about is coming back to life, either near-death experience or uh, medically declared dead for several minutes and coming back. And that's not what Bible says the resurrection of Jesus and our believer's resurrection. Jesus, during his uh, public ministry, raised three dead people. One, one of the most famous, uh, his closest friend, Lazarus, brother of Mary and Martha. And Jesus actually wept when he went to that tomb that Lazarus was buried. And he raised him. And another um, son of widow in Naren, the city called Naren. And then he came back. And the daughter, daughter of Jairus. These th- three incidents, there's a common difference as opposed to Jesus' resurrection. All three died again. When Jesus rose from the dead, his body was glorified. And that what the Bible says about our salvation, consummation of God's eternal life in us, is actually glorified body. Our mortal body will become immortal body. That we will never face death again. In light of that, let me just mention the second uh, thing. Then people will say, oh, it it is a resurrection of Jesus' spirit. In some some sense of a bodily resurrection. Or another way of putting it is maybe the spirit of Jesus, the 
the legacy of Jesus continue lives on. Either way, the resurrection is merely bodiless resurrection. This has a lot to do with the Greek philosophy. And we, we are influenced by Greek philosophy. Uh, ten, tendency to think of spirit is good. Anything fleshly, bodily is not good. Um, no, the Jesus resurrection is a, was a bodily resurrection. And so will each one of us who believe in Jesus Christ, our resurrection will be so as well. Eternal salvation, eternal life, some, because of the Greek philosophy and Western minds are affected by that, we tend to think of it as you know, freed from the physical things, eating, or sleeping, and all those things. So, what is heaven? What is going to heaven look like? And we could see that in uh, movies and Hollywood scenes. That these are people just kind of flowing around with the wings on their back in the cloud without the body. But did you know that there's a new heaven and earth, new earth? It's, it, right now, what the kingdom of God in heaven will look like, it is actually a temporary state. When Jesus returns, according to scripture, there will be new heaven and new earth. And then those who have received eternal life will dwell. That kingdom is actually bodily kingdom as well. The difference is that our body will be changed in a twinkle of an eye to that such a, that Jesus' body was like that. In other words, we experience uh, the fragile, uh, prone to sick, and in many different ways that it is a mortal body. But Jesus' body was different. But at the same time, he ate the fish that Jesus was given to. Thirdly, another misconception is uh, it is a subjective truth. Oh, let Christians believe. Because it's, it's up to you to believe. Did you know that Christianity, Christian faith, or the New Testament faith, has been based on historical event called Resurrection. There is still empty tomb. And you might want to even research on the people who have decided to prove that this historical event was false, ending up, all those people who are intellectually honest people have come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. Many of them, to quickly mention, uh, new Edition, re rendition of the new movie, 
actually old movie when I was little. It was one of those longest movies that I've ever seen. It's called Ben-Hur. Four hours. There's an intermission. So back then, you guys might think that it's not a concert, you know, classical concert, but there's a movie has an intermission. You, you actually go outside. Lou Wallace, who was a retired general in, in, in England, was trying to come up with a topic that he could write, that he could have a legacy for his lifetime. And then he thought of the Bible is the all-time bestseller. If I write something so clear that it reveals the myth and lies of the Bible, then my book will last forever. With that, and he was at least intellectually honest, he went to not only the world's library, in which he could contact with the real original documents and manuscripts, and he went to even Israel. In the writing second chapter, he couldn't write anymore. He knelt down before Lord Jesus, called my God and my Savior. And with all the materials that he got collected and researched, he wrote a famous novel entitled Ben-Hur, which later became the movie. Another one is a, a lawyer by the name of Simon Greenleaf, the Harvard law, law professor, who tried to somehow come up with a Reputing the evidence, historical evidence, historical legal evidence that he came up with. And the evidence was, historical legal evidence was just so overwhelming. He too became a Christ follower. So it is not subjective truth. And lastly, probably most important thing is that it is not irrelevant to irreligious people. Oh, I'm not religious. Or even church attenders who say, uh, my religion is private, so it's it's relevant to some some people, but it doesn't have to be relevant to my co-workers, my family members. But listen to this. If the resurrection of Jesus is really true, it changes everything for everyone. Not just temporarily, but eternal destiny of everyone hinges upon resurrection. Tim Keller wrote this uh, fabulous book called Reason for God. In, In it, he writes, If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. 
So let's consider the truth and once again, historical evidences. And to be congruent in what I've been presenting, I want to stick to this particular passage the Apostle Paul wrote to Corinthians, the Christians in Corinth in the first century. This was basically only 20 after, 20 years after Jesus' historical crucifixion and death. And then he uh, as was traveling as a missionary in the modern-day Greek that he wrote this letter. In chapter 15 of First Letter to Corinthians, we could actually see he's alluding to four evidences at least. Here's the first one. Evidence number one is birth and rise of the Christian church. Or if you will, like it more straightforward, birth and rise of the Christianity. From Judaism, and it became uh, when Jesus was crucified, everyone is scared, scattered, and they are fearful for some reason. Within few weeks, the believers were acting differently. Verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, what Paul is saying is this resurrection is the foundation of the Christian church. Resurrection is not one of those items that we would like to talk about. If the resurrection didn't really happen, there is no Christianity. There is no Christian church. And there is no New Testament. The scholars will agree that something happened during that few weeks of, so let's assume that some, uh, one of the charismatic leader of Jesus' followers, let's say, let's pick uh, Simon Peter, he got inspiration. He had a good dream, and then he came up with the idea that we're going to just tell others that Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. And tell everybody. If you're an intellectually honest person, will that work? Not only for Simon Peter himself, to the point of his, his, the tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down, telling the Romans that he's not worthy to be dead, to be killed, uh, like his Lord. Jesus was uh, in, like this, right? And he re- requested that he will be hung. Upside down. Other than John, the apostle, who wrote Revelations, all other, and Judas is carried also, all others have died for their faith. Killed for their faith. Beheaded, 
Some of them eaten by beasts and lions, and some of them cut it in half. The central message, therefore, the Christian faith is the resurrection. I think this is the part that our church needs to pay attention again. So whenever we say the gospel, what is the good news? The gospel literally means good news. Oftentimes we could say, Jesus died on the cross for me. If you say, say that to the early church Christians, early Christians right after around that time, they will passionately disagree. Their message was the hope and everything was Jesus is risen. The resurrection was the gospel and it still is the gospel. In book of Acts, the historical records about the early church. In chapter 2, a physician by the name of Luke, he writes this, uh, recording the early, early Christian church. Brothers, uh, chapter 2, verse 29, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. By the way, this is Apostle Peter talking to the Jews who are gathered there. He foresaw, spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, the place of death, nor did his flesh see corruption, decaying. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you have crucified. If you were a Jew back then, the known fact from the Old Testament was there was scripture, prophecy, and, and promise of God that the kingdom of David will reign forever. In your house, I will give you the, the rain that doesn't end. And obviously what Peter is talking about, it's this, this special the holiday called Pentecost. David died and buried. And what is the Lord, Yahweh, is talking about here? The son of David, Jesus, is actually the, the holy one who is anointed by God. Who will not see decaying death, but he will reign forever and ever. Evidence number two is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. In verse three, Paul writes, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I 
also received that Christ died for your, uh, our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with, script, with the scriptures. What he is doing here is very deliberate. If you look at the uh, second and third line, and he's hinging every, everything on in accordance with what the scripture has said, was written, prophesied. And there is descriptive about what that was, but he's basically saying, this isn't just to happen. This was planned and purposed by our Lord, Yahweh. And first one, like, let's look at this. Jesus died for our sin in accordance with the scripture. And obviously back then, it's, but the scripture meant Old Testament. And particularly, if I share one only, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. By the way, prophet Isaiah and this book was at least 700 prior to Jesus' birth in 700 B.C. And it was a prophecy of a coming Messiah who will suffer and die for the sins of the world. And another research that I've done before I read this, there are only a few, but there are minority Jews of today who believe in Jesus. Uh, some, some people call them a Messianic Jew, that they really believe the Messiah, Messiah has come. Or in, in their website, Jews for Jesus. And they're, <clears throat> they're, they're contending uh, evidence from the scripture to any Jews, they're saying, read and you decide who is this written about. And obviously you could irrationally, rationally and irrationally speak against any kind of evidences. Enough thing to you could hold on to deny or enough things that you could really trust and believe. Sadly, majority of Jews have denied this apparent prophecy that is so coinciding with how Jesus died. <coughs> Isaiah 53 is often called a suffering servant servant of as a messiah verse 4 surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by god and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities upon him was a chastisement 
that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we, were, we are healed. We all, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Without knowing much about Jesus, you probably have seen the movie or heard that, The Passion of the Christ. There is no better description than, than this. His death was in accordance with Scripture, the Old Testament prophecy. And then he was buried. The reason why uh, we need to emphasize is not only because Paul mentions it, but some skeptics had actually said this is called a swoon theory, that Jesus wasn't really completely dead. He was knocked out, and, and then they put him in the tomb. He somehow restored his strength and came out. And how did he move that stone. I I don't know. Something happened. He was buried. In accordance with scripture, the empty tomb is a historical evidence for the resurrection. There is no answer for this. If you are nitpicking about um, once again, some of them even as a person who's just rational, this is ridiculous that people can actually come up with this kind of evidence against empty tomb. One of them is Jesus' disciples stole the body. Jesus predicted his death and resurrection. So the religious leaders of the day made sure the Roman soldiers, according to the scripture, they were guarding the tomb 24-7. And Roman military law is if you're guarding a very important criminal and if by your mistakes, by your negligence, your prisoner is gone, your life is under line. In other words, you could lose your life for that. So what, uh, the official city document was the disciples stole the body. Let's ask Roman soldiers, what were you doing? How did you know? Oh, we were sleeping. We fell asleep, we were tired. And how did you know that disciples stole the body? Uh, if you even slight you know, tinge of the feeling that there was your life is on the line, wouldn't you? And then another thing is this. If they stole the body, you could go after those disciples and all you need is the corpse. Present the corpse. So to shut them up, all the disciples who are preaching with boldness and strength and power. 
the religious leaders of the day could not provide, even to this day. The last one, I highlight it because it is about the resurrection. Jesus was also raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Let me present just a few of them. Two from uh, the Old Testament. Psalm 16, this is David's psalm. Verse 10, because you will not abandon me to the realm of death, of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. I'm using New International Version because it seems much more plain, more close to the literal translation, ESV, English Standard Version, will say, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. So the Holy One is the anointed one, named, designated for the Messiah. Holy One. And the corruption is obviously the decaying process. But people can read all kinds of corruption of the society or corruption morality or you know, things like that. So it clearly, David's uh, psalm points to Jesus living without decaying body. Hosea 6.2, after two days, he will revive us. And the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. That Jesus being risen on the third day, counting every day, so Friday to Saturday and Sunday morning, was predicted, prophesied. And that's the Old Testament according to the, in accordance with the scripture, what Apostle Paul is saying. But Jesus himself repeatedly predicted his death and resurrection. Just here's a couple. There's so many. But Matthew 12, verse 40, where it just says, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth mentioning three days in the tomb, implying that. John, 12, John 2, verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, referring to his body, and in three days I will raise it up. Because of these remarks, the Pharisees and chief priests were so angered, infuriated, They put sin of blasphemy against him, which led to the cross. And because of that, once again, what if the disciples fabricate the story about resurrection that he predicted? So let's make sure Roman soldiers guard. That's what happened. Evidence number three. Not just witnesses, but eyewitnesses. And not just one eyewitness, but more than 500 
eyewitnesses. Apostle Paul writes in verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas. He's um, Simon Peter's name. Uh, Simon Peter is uh, Peter is Petra, is a Greek name. And in, in Hebrew, the same word, the rock, is a Cephas. And then to the 12, the 12 disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of, them, most of whom are still alive. Though some of them have fallen asleep. The biblical language for death, they're asleep. Then he appeared to James, the brother of um, of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, then to the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Obviously, Paul the apostle is very humbly presenting as I also was the eyewitness, one of the eyewitnesses as well. Okay, um, one thing we need to make it clear, the people see things, hallucination, and if you're desperate, you think you're hearing things, you know, all those things happen. But according to what Paul is writing, the re- repetition of these events, eyewitnesses, so crystal clear, and including Apostle Paul's experience, they were willing to die lay their life on the line for that. As I mentioned, this letter was written only 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And according to all these people who are eyewitnesses, it's not several hundred years ago some, something happened, but actually... Paul is saying many of them are still alive. The eyewitnesses are alive. People don't die for fabrication. Some of you are old enough, I hope. Watergate incident. When there was a a rumor and the lies and including Chuck Colson, who later became Christian, lied about the incident. And they couldn't hold the secret lie. But if you saw hallucination, would you die for it? Would you, would you die for a fabricated story? For whatever the reason that you've been holding on to that. But if your life is on the line, Early Christians not only die for their faith in resurrection, in risen Christ, they died so boldly with singing hymns on their lips. Here's a few lists that I want to introduce. Look at the range of different type of people, gender. The first one is Mary Magdalene. 
to other women, to Cephas and Peter, and then to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, to 11 disciples except Thomas, Thomas, who doubted, to the 12 a week later, and then seven disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Tiberias is Galilee, another name for that. And Jesus showed up in the middle of, I mean, before the dawn, he, it was still dark. And he called them, do you have fish? We have strived all night long that we cut nothing. And Jesus said, uh, let your lead down on the right. And this happened before when Simon Peter was called to, to follow Jesus. So at that, who was the sensitive one? John, the youngest one, the apostle John, who was so close to Jesus, who oftentimes leaned against the bosom of Jesus whenever there is a dining and gathering. He said, Peter, that's the Lord. And Peter is a passionate person. He couldn't wait until the boat gets to the shore. He jumped. He took off his, his garment and jumped and swam. And they ate breakfast together. Breakfast that was made by Lord Jesus himself. And he asked the famous three-time question, Simon Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me? Then 500 followers before Jesus ascended. And to James, this is the half-brother, who, who did not believe until the resurrection. That he was probably think, thinking that, well, he, he's the first one in the family, he should be responsible. What is he doing walking around uh, claiming that he's Messiah? But after the death and resurrection, while people are waiting before the Pentecost, James, half-brother of Jesus, was one of those people who were praying, which, who, who later became a prime, primary leader the shepherd and pastor of Jerusalem church, even more so than Peter. To the twelve at the ascension, Jesus was being lifted up, an angel saying, he will, he will come just as you've seen him. And to Paul, back then he was called Saul. It's the same name, one is Greek and one is Hebrew. Um, and then among all these people most unique eyewitness would be apostle the apostle Paul that's the last evidence changed lives of Jesus followers 
verse 9. Paul's talking about himself. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called apostle or an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Think about any other people who are in the first movement of Christian church, they have simple line of their conversion and following Christ. But Apostle Paul wasn't that. When Stephen, one of the early church leaders, were being stoned by the hands of all these Jews, passionate, zealous, religious Jews, Saul, Paul was, former Saul, Paul was there. He was holding onto their garments so they could throw stones at him. And later on, Paul, as a Pharisee, became called and passionate to protect the name of God. And what was he doing? He got official letters from high priests to go from time to time to put Christians into the prison and to execute them. That was really Paul. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus showed up. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you persecute. So his conversion was so controversial even to the Christians, they were skeptical about receiving him. And think about any person who are hostile to Christianity. Like, you know, even atheist atheist, uh, authors like Hutchison or the people who write this ridiculous ideas about resurrection one author actually came up with a reason for resurrection is Jesus was twin. <laughs> that he was swapped. And then, I, my question, he was in Brent Center in UCI, and my, filled with people. He was so serious and scholarly. So how can an intellectual person really believe that Jesus was twin and then when Jesus died, and twin felt called to come out of the, his closet and I am alive. Which one is easier to believe? Throughout history, it's not only the disciples of Christ followers have been also changed by the reason Christ. Even today, you heard one of our members, uh, Christine, by trade, he's, she's pediatrician, and her life and her family has been impacted by the risen Savior. Why is she going to Thailand on her own money, on her own vacation time with the situation that is not really easy for? 
because she's one of those people who are transformed by the risen Savior. And Crossway is gathering of those people who, are, who have experienced changed life, including me. And our marriages have been turned around. And one of the brothers called it a rebirth happened in their marriage because of risen Savior. Forgiveness happened. The reconciliation of the broken relationship happened. The change of our character happened. John Stott writes his poignant words, perhaps the transformation of the disciples of Jesus is the greatest evidence of all for the resurrection. And I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. If I remember my times that I was really doubting a lot, one thing that haunted me, that I couldn't drift away from God altogether, was the people who are so transformed. For my case, it was my grandma. Her God was real. Her faith was powerfully strengthening. This old lady who was wearing oxygen machine who couldn't go out for several years, her life was marked by her devotion and passion and joy, if you will, whenever she reads the Bible, whenever he, she hung on in the middle of the night because of pain. She's now praying for world peace. And she's hanging on to Lord Jesus and hearing my name. Do you have people like that? You just can't explain things away. That person has a mark of transformation by our Lord Jesus. I want to conclude with some simple suggestions from me. There are three. One, as we respond, we are to renew our hope and faith in the risen Savior who lives in us. If you are Christian and if you belong to Christ. And I think that we, we could easily take it for granted. But this is really truth and it affects our entire life. Whenever we struggle about something, is that your health? Is that your parents? Is that your children? Is that your finance? Is that your work? Think in terms of eternity. Our true hope for eternity and faith in Jesus is the strength and everything. Is it? The second thing is, if we do believe and put our trust and our hope is real, 
oh, we need to share this good news. I'm not talking about that you would be a street preacher or someone who is dogmatic to, to shove down your faith into your friends. But if you really, really believe, wouldn't it be too selfish for you to hold on to it? If you, if you found out as a scientist the cure for cancer and you said, oh, my research is private, whether you really believe this is a cure or not, let's be true to reason Savior. And number three, we are to commit to following Jesus as our reason, Lord, as well as Savior. So when Christians uh, are persecuted, the cost of discipleship, cost of following Christ is very real. But in our days, the gospel has been so cheapened, it's too easy to follow. And Lord Jesus is a conveniently a Savior, but and yet not Lord. A strange thing happened. Oh, this is the charge of the Holy Spirit to our entire church, starting with our church. Will you follow Lord Jesus? Give him his lordship for under everything. Your finance, your children, your leisures, your family, your career, your thought life, your sex life, everything under lordship of Jesus because he's the ultimate judge of all. I want to conclude with this um, John Stott's very practical suggestion that I found. He called it ABCD if you're serious of following Christ. A, admit that you need a savior, that you're a sinner. One who is healthy, who thinks healthy, no one's healthy, spiritually speaking, doesn't need a physician, Jesus said. So unless we admit our need for savior and you're a sinner, we cannot go anywhere in following Christ. B stands for believe that Jesus died on the cross and buried and rose again for your sin and for your redemption. C stands for consider to follow Jesus as your Lord as well as your Savior. D stands for do. Do what? Come to Jesus and ask him to be your Savior and Lord through faith. Those of you who are visiting with us, maybe you are not that religious at all. I beg you not to rush into decision. If you are not ready, if you do need to explore more and that you have some questions, explore more. I beg you not to rush the immature decision. But some of you felt the prompting that today is the day. And then you felt the conviction, you felt 
you you sense God's voice in in talking to you, knocking on the heart of your. If then, I beg you not to pass this golden opportunity to receive Jesus as your risen Savior and Lord. For those of you who are uh, following Christ already, the, ch- the prompting of the Holy Spirit is that you are wholehearted in following. You cannot say, you cannot follow two masters one way or the other. And risen Savior will become your joy, your peace. You will experience wonderful grace and mercy. And I long for more crossway story because of the risen Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our living hope in Jesus. And thank you that these evidence, along with many others, are giving us and prompting us to follow you as our risen Savior and Lord. And my prayer for each one of us in this room will take that call seriously. Your tender voice calling back to return, to repent, to trust, to hope. And I pray that you will purify our church along with the churches in America. That we do not follow two masters. That we would love you and follow you like those early Christians who died happily and joyfully for your namesake. Because their hope was not on earth. And their eternal hope, living hope, was in Lord Jesus and his eternal kingdom that your reign never ends. We give you glory and we rejoice with you and with your people. Yes, he is risen. He's risen indeed. In the Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.